The Dark Times is not intended for younglings, foundlings, or Padawan learners. Ask your game master's permission before listening. Yes, as a matter of fact, I was just about to upload the next episode. Tell the listeners I've got the money. Yeah, but this time I've got the Patreon money. I don't have it with me. Tell Jabba that I... Even I record sometimes. You think I had a choice? Over my Dark Times podcast. Yeah, I bet you have. Welcome back to the Dark Times <laughs> Podcast. I'm Sam, your favorite Imperial Kiss Ass. And I'm Steven, your favorite blue Rodian. That's right. They can be blue. They're blue now? <laughs> can we sorry, a little yeah, rant ahead. about a little sequel <laughs> sequel era rant. Oh, here we go. We've seen jet troopers before. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, no, okay. So Isn't that crazy? Funny thing about that, I did some digging on this because I was when I I actually went home. After seeing Rise of Skywalker, and I was like, there's no way Poe Dameron hadn't seen Poe Dameron, Hero of the Resistance. Whose parents were literal rebel heroes as well. Hadn't seen Jet Troopers before. I'm like, no way that hasn't happened. Ignoring the fact, and again, this is ignoring the fact that the previous two galaxy-spanning conflicts prominently featured soldiers <laughs> wearing jetpacks. Ignore that just for now, if you can. Looking at Poe Dameron, just Poe Dameron, I was like, there's got to be something here. So... What I did is I took the list of appearances for First Order Jump Trooper on Wikipedia, (laughs) cross-referenced it with the just overall appearances of Poe Dameron, and there's one (laughs) There's one Poe Dameron comic where there are jet troopers. He and his, like, boys are attacked by jet troopers. (laughs) It's unclear in the comic. I read that comic. I hunted it down, found the PDF, read it legally, of course. There isn't a panel that seems to demonstrate that he actually saw the jet troopers. <laughs> but you don't think they can tell him about it later? I'm sure like, they would. There's a I'm mission sure. debriefing at Resistance High Command? Like, nothing like that? That's an excellent point. Also, Finn was a member of the First Order. You, I'm pretty sure they were like, yeah, we're working on jet troopers, buddy. Like, it's going to be big. To be fair, <laughs> he was mostly a janitor. <laughs> He had a polished up jetpacks. I think I can't remember, but I think he was mostly a janitor and like preferred to be a janitor. Yeah, of course. But they needed more stormtroopers or something, so he got roped into that. Man, they should have let him just stay a janitor. The Starkiller base would still be standing. Would have been a much shorter. Yeah. What if like he's not? He doesn't meet Poe at all. He's in the next like segment over, just mopping. Like, man, this this janitor job's pretty good. He mops up Poe Dameron's yeah. fucking blood off the floor <laughs> after they interrogate the shit out of him and discard his body. Like, <laughs> that's what it's all about. Oh, that's great. That's the, that's the new Star Wars Infinities comics I want to see. Hundred <laughs> uh, percent. We had some feedback. Yes, we had some feedback. Some very lovely feedback. 
We heard from Professor Bashy on Reddit. Thank you so much for this. Why don't I just go ahead and read it? Just started listening to you guys, and I'm on the third ep already. Big congrats, that's with a Z, to both of you. You've managed to do a couple of extremely difficult things as compared by the million other podcasts or long play format type YouTube shows out there. One, production is good, as in the audio and mic quality is easily listenable. Two, the sound of your voices doesn't make me want to stab my eardrums out with the nearest available long and pointy object. Three, your personalities make me want to have a beer with you instead of throwing you down the turbo laser shaft. Keep up the good work. <laughs> Thank you so much, Professor Bash. Thank you, Professor. That's probably the uh, the nicest review. We've some ever of the gotten. nicest, definitely the most direct uh, praise we've ever received. <laughs> also, probably the most surprising, considering they've only listened to three episodes. Yeah, you know the, like, the comment better. about yeah <laughs> the comment about audio quality really got me because if they're only on the first three, then I mean, and they already like it, then. They're in for a treat. Yeah, because it, it gets way better by like episode 10. Uh, and then not so I didn't really know how to write a pod episode back then either. So, I, you know, thank thank goodness. God bless that napkin. God bless that. Wait, napkin? Oh, the, the Chipotle napkin. Chipotle, I wrote our. That's right. I we wrote the whole premise of the show. on. We literally have a backside of a napkin story. I've always forget that. That's so great. Oh. I'm going to get it framed. Oh, you should. You still have it? Yeah, of course. Okay, cool. Good. <laughs> Lakopikos reached out per huge, uh, offered us, you know, the, the, the usual acknowledgement, but also said in regards to our last episode, got a little ranty last time about <laughs> non-player uh, vehicle actions. Lakopik says simply, by the way, weapon batteries and tactical fire. Sam, have you seen, oh gosh, um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Yeah, of course. Do you know that famous scene where his friend is staring at the painting and it's staring <laughs> back at him? Yeah. I looked at this feedback, the, by the way, weapon batteries or tactical fire, just like that kid in Ferris Bueller's day off, just staring at my computer screen. Like, Oh my God, how could I forget weapon batteries and tactical fire? And also a couple other things that we'll, we'll go over. So yeah, we're going to look at a few in-game options to help manage that game master burden of tackling turn orders for like a dozen ATSTs or what have you. Because like we kind of brushed over in the last episode, it can get overwhelming, uh, especially if you really want to do things by the book. So first on our list of tools for helping us manage like what does a Star Destroyer's turn look like? I mean, we're looking at a crew in the tens of thousands. This isn't your TIE fighter buzzing around bothering your players weapon batteries are fun they can be a little mind-boggling especially if you're still getting the ropes with swissy at least that's how it was for me um, i can summarize them here you should pop open that core rule book if you really want the like multi-paragraph breakdown on exactly what a weapon battery is on the other hand exactly what a weapon battery is isn't very important and i'll show you why a weapon battery in star wars saga edition is a cluster of up to six identical weapons and the gunners for each automatically aid each other. When a weapon battery hits a target, for every three points the attack roll exceeds the target's reflex defense, the target is hit by another weapon in the battery, which adds another die of damage. That goes before the multiplier. That goes before the multiplier. Insane. And, and like a heavy turbo laser, I think, just going off the top of my head here, is like a times five multiplier. Probably, so at least. That's like a... <laughs> 1d10 times 5 on top of whatever damage you're getting. Turbo lasers are nasty. And you'll see overwhelmingly often what is bundled into batteries is turbo lasers. I'm sure there's plenty of exceptions, but that's kind of the, the standard. Vehicle stat blocks 
automatically include the correct calculations for weapon batteries. So that's what I mean, that the specifics of weapon batteries aren't terribly important unless you're homebrewing your own capital ship. Why? But, (laughs) (laughs) But no, for real, like if you can just remember that it's an extra die of damage for every plus three that a weapon battery exceeds on its target's reflex defense, you don't really need to know anything else. You can look at the vehicle stat block, see the already calculated battery attack modifier for you. Yeah. And then just use that and keep you just the don't little... you don't really need to know the why. No, you don't really Even know the, the why, why is very simple. It's just they're aiding each other on the attack. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, weapon batteries can also aid other weapon batteries, but they don't impart that additional damage. Those weapon batteries aiding don't grant another die on top of the die already being granted in the battery, if that makes they sense. They just add a normal plus two. They just get that normal plus two from the aid. So. Yes, that and, and batteries are, are kind of the beginnings of how we start to make sense of these massive war machines at the table. And Starships of the Galaxy actually adds two ways you can use batteries. It actually adds an additional way and then names the default way. I'll get into it right now. From Starships of the Galaxy, Narrow Salvo. This method, the default use of a weapon battery, as described above, is ideal for capital ships that are attacking other capital ships or space stations because it brackets the target while concentrating fire, dealing significant damage to targets that have a high shield rating or damage reduction. This is what I described above. It's that for every three points beyond the reflex defense, you add a die of damage. Which is good over getting past shields and damage reduction. Very, very much so. In fact, you'll recall that when you form a fighter group, with your, I was going to uh, mention that. Yeah, yeah. With your fellow players, you do this. Exactly. You basically become a battery. That's cool. And it's super cool when you're up against hard And targets. it also makes sense. It does. It's super fun. And then there's proximity spread. This is super fun. Instead of trying to land multiple hits, a weapon battery can spread its fire in a way that maximizes the chance that one will hit, ideal for attacking starfighters. A proximity spread is resolved as an area attack but it affects only one starship scale square on the battle grid. As with auto fire, the weapon battery takes minus five to its attack roll. So this is basically a starship auto fire. Yeah, this is one of the only starship area attacks that there really is, isn't there? This is essentially one of a few ways to get a starship area attack that affects a whole square. Mm -hmm. As you recall, auto fire area attacks still do happen at starship scale, but they affect a single target. It's uncommon not exactly rare but definitely uncommon to get a full square of effect and there's actually we can go even further than that with one of these options down the line that i think you'll like a now lot, really Sam. quick does yeah. evasion still apply to a proximity spread yes i'd absolutely it says it says it's an area attack and yeah. evasion specifically calls that area attacks so yeah 100 percent. and even those single target Auto fire attacks? No, those are those are not area attacks. Those are not area attacks the for the purposes evasion of evasion. Evasion does not apply to those. Yeah, because okay. otherwise you'd be taking half damage from every missile that hit you, and that's and that's yeah, lame. No, of course, I mean, it doesn't make sense at all. Not at all. So, Starships of the Galaxy adds something really cool called tactical fire. This is an entry you've probably seen it if you ever looked at any capital ship stat block. It's like towards the bottom, and it's really really cool. Uh, The book does a great job of explaining it. I don't think I could ever do better than Starships of the Galaxy. So I'm just going to read a couple graphs right here out of the page, and then we'll talk about it. A number of capital ships have a tactical fire option, an alternative ability that allows them to function more like commanders than individual ships. Each tactical fire option produces an aura around the ship that affects the battlefield, replacing all of the ship's normal attacks in a given round. When engaged in combat against other capital ships, 
a capital ship is better off using its normal attacks because they have the greatest chance of dealing the most damage. Cutting in right here just to say, y'all can see where this is going. These ships are so big, so massive, so impossible to like GM using the same rules that apply to like a squad of stormtroopers that the game is saying, look, we know these are more like terrain than they are actually enemies. And they are, you know how like these ships are kilometers long. <laughs> what are they at starship scales at three by three? Is it something insane like that? Some of them. And we'll talk about that later because that's relevant to this discussion. But yes, I just like that because it's they're, they're Rodney or whoever, probably Sterling was like, yes, Star Destroyers are hard to GM. Here's some abilities where you can just say it does this every turn and makes it easier for everyone. Continuing from Starships of the Galaxy, the tactical fire option is provided as a means of using capital scale ships in space combat scenarios without making them another enemy that the heroes need to defeat. In essence, using the tactical fire option transforms a capital ship from an opponent into an obstacle or complication. This should allow you to include capital ships in a combat scenario, adding an interesting element to the fight without the danger of blowing the heroes out of the sky with a lucky shot. Oh, okay. Yeah. Bingo bongo. The game acknowledges that it's not always feasible or even really a good idea to be destroy the star destroyer. The main objective of your spaceship encounter. We've talked about this before. Destroy all enemies is a good starship encounter. But it's not realistic. It's not realistic. It's not the best one, especially if you want to bring in these big cinematic iconic battleships because their HP pools are in the thousands, I think. <laughs> and I love Starship Combat and Swissy. I don't want to be chipping away at a thousands big health pool all night. There's I've seen some cool suggestions where you do it like in the Rogue Squadron games where you like take out different elements of the Star Destroyer and that cripples and destroys it. That's yeah. cool. But that'd be a skill challenge. That's a skill challenge <laughs> slash like, you know, put down four health pools of like 400 instead of one. For of sure. I like this. because This makes it sound more like these are hazards. Yes, it does. Even though they're not hazards in the terms of the rules and even think back to some parts of the movie some parts of the movie are about directly engaging star destroyers rarely but a lot of the time it's stuff like oh look out for those star destroyers and they you know <laughs> dump out ties and shoot vaguely in the direction of the heroes like think of battle of endor like yeah. they're like well what are those star destroyers doing sitting there like your players will ask the same thing so they won't sound like lando when they do it <laughs> i sure hope they don't unless you have billy d williams at your table which if you do please get in touch I'd love to know more about that he brings Colt 45 to every session. <laughs> so I've written down some examples of some tactical fire options. Like I said, pretty much every capital ship has these. That's everything bigger than Colossal Frigate and up has some variant of these. And uh, they're they're pretty cool. Some of them are shockingly good. Some of them don't make a whole lot of sense, but I picked some some good ones here we can go over. As a standard action, an MC-80 Star Cruiser can forgo all attacks to provide tactical fire to all squares in a two-square radius around itself. All allied starships within that area get a plus 10 bonus to their shield rating as long as the Star Cruiser's shield rating is greater than zero. Isn't that neat? I like that, That's yeah. so cool, and you, you know well how useful those shields are in oh, space. Absolutely. Like, you need those shields. Crazy stuff. As a standard action, a Tartan-class patrol cruiser can forgo all attacks to provide tactical fire to all adjacent squares. The DR of all enemy starfighters within that area is halved, rounded down, 
as long as they remain in the tactical fire area. Sorry. Wow. Halved DR? That's insane. Ouch. Some ships have like 10, 20 DR. Yeah, I think your average starfighter has in the neighborhood of 10 to 15, and then that only gets, that gets much bigger as you work your way into like space transports and stuff. That's just, you're just easy, it's easier to take out condition track at that point. Taking out the bad guys. And as we all know, condition track is the real game in Saga Edition. One at higher levels, sure, HP pools or whatever, they get too big. You need to target that condition track, especially in space. Oh, sorry. It, it, it specifies enemy starfighters. This doesn't work against space transports. Got to go back on that. But still. It's still huge. It's still insane. Yeah. As a standard action, an Imperial 1 class Star Destroyer can forgo all attacks to provide tactical fire to all squares in a two square radius around itself. All allied starships attacking targets in that area gain a plus two bonus on attack rolls. That's classic fun deployment tactics. Surround your Star Destroyer with TIE Fighters and other support ships like it's meant to. Blast your players for maximum damage. As a standard action, a Munificent class frigate can forgo all attacks to provide tactical fire to all squares in a two-square radius around itself. All enemy starships lose any morale or insight bonuses on attack rolls, defenses, or skill checks while in that area. Call this one the Noble Buster. Yeah, wow, that's that's. Big. If you've got a smart noble in your party that is handing out some fat, what is that, insight or morale bonuses, that's like every bonus that nobles get access to yeah. in their talent trees, I'm pretty sure. Just put that in front of them. Say, oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Your three talents that you're, uh, they give you plus two attack and plus skill checks, everything. Fuck you. That cool party <laughs> synergy you've been working with and dismantling all my encounters, you know, uh, what if, what if you didn't? And uh, something that I think is cool. Say if you have a tactical fire, because like I don't do a lot of Clone Wars game mastering. I yeah, just, I just I don't like ideas for good Clone Wars campaigns don't come to my head. I don't know what's wrong with me. They just don't. Clone Wars are good for one shots. Yes, because, you know, there's a lot of uh, one shot sized media in the Clone Wars era that we see. Absolutely. Well, this is not the episode to talk about that. No, <laughs> if there is a tactical fire that you like for one ship, but want to put it on a different ship, just do it. But just do it. Yeah. There's lots of repeats. Like uh, there, there's only so many unique tactical fires out there. There's plenty of ships just copy paste from a different one. But you can just do that. I mean, there, there's sometimes little flavorful justifications for like why the tactical fire is the way there is. Like the Star Destroyer one in the book says, oh, Star Destroyers are good at laying down tons of firepower at once. So they get plus two to. Yeah, you, you can. Like, I really want to use the Munificent one in my campaign because we have some very, very good nobles in that campaign. Uh, and it would be very fun to disrupt that. But uh, that party probably isn't going to come across a, a, a frigate of this type. So retro, something retrofitted is always cool. Of course. I think there's a lot of ways to just hand wave that, though, to be honest. Of course. Absolutely. I wanted to do a little tangent about starship scale sizes. So you've probably noticed. Yeah, I know you know it well. These massive ships don't ever take up more than like three by three at starship scale. I think three by three is like the biggest ever. I think maybe the eclipse is four by four. I can't really remember. And they're probably balanced around being that size at starship scale, but this might just be me when my players are on the board and I'm like, all right, guys, big star destroyer time. This is it. Like here we are. It's huge. (laughs) These things are massive. Like they're many, many, many times bigger than your little snub fighter. It's going to be crazy. But then I put it on the board and it's like two by two. Yeah. My players are (laughs) one by one. And I'm like, well, this doesn't feel right. I have no idea how this affects game balance. It definitely does. But what I do is I scale all starships 
roughly relative to that of the players. And by that, I mean, I look up the length of an X-Wing, I look up the length of a Star Destroyer. And I notice that, say, it's not, but say the Star Destroyer is 20 times longer than an X-Wing, I make my Star Destroyer token like 20 squares long. Yeah. That's what I do. I think the reason that they're three by three is because of the tactical fire. Yes. Right. To make help make that more balanced. And that's what I want to caution people against that. If you do this, you are seriously buffing the tactical fire ability. You are, you are greatly multiplying the area that these abilities have an effect. Is that fine? Yeah, probably not. These aren't like game busting abilities. They're cool modifiers that change the rules of engagement for your encounter, but they aren't exactly, you know, I feel comfortable buffing these auras, basically, is what yeah. I'm saying. That's what they say at the crystal shop, too. <laughs> and this is one of those things where it's like, your players are not going to be taking out a Star Destroyer. No. Not likely. Not alone. Not alone. So why make it more look more feasible than yeah. it is? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I also under, I've heard justifications before from people more knowledgeable than me when I was like, why is a Star Destroyer 2 by 2 at the same scale where players take up one scale, one square. They're like, Oh, well it says in the book that a starship scale square can be any size. And of course that's true. We all know that. I mean, it, it, they could be many kilometers wide. They can be whole sectors wide. The problem I have with that is, is that it still doesn't help my problem of the star destroyer, the big imposing scary thing being two <laughs> by two or three by three on the board. When my players are, you know, not much smaller by comparison. It makes sense. If your players are viewing the battlefield from like a tactical readout. Or yeah, something. totally. It makes perfect sense. But most likely they're in the fighter and they're looking at it from the point of view of being inside the fighter. And they're thinking, that's a big fucking ship yeah. over there. So I, I struggle to convey the big majesty of these massive warships using the sizes rules as written. And they're definitely like that for a reason. But if you wanted to ignore that and make them bigger relative to your players... I haven't had any problems doing it. I am four, five, six months in on a Starfighter campaign, and we've had no trouble regarding that. I also really haven't been using Tactical Fire all that much, which needs to I change. We only encountered one capital ship. Haven't had much capital ship yeah. encounters either. You had some... Capital ship encounters are get away from the ship. That's yeah. the encounter. <laughs> so, yeah, it's fine if it's bigger. That just gives your players more incentive to leave. Damn right. Damn right. I mean, it's not like... Can you imagine like an Empire Strikes Back when Han's being chased by the Star Destroyer? He's like, oh, they're only two by two. I think we could take we them. We could take them. Yeah. I <laughs> know. Every character, <laughs> when they see a Star Destroyer, really any capital ship is like, oh, that's a lot bigger than us. We should turn around now. <laughs> Funny. But yeah, food for thought. Why don't you eat that up? Pick it up off the floor. Give that a nibble. Five second rule. <laughs> <laughs> Well, last night, what happened in our in our zero distance session? My character Dev, uh, there was a Sarge, like a uh, yeah, know, a field little promoted field promoted Sarge, Sarge, some kid, yeah, some and boot. he dropped he dropped food on the floor, and then I made my my grizzled Duros veteran character be like, pick that up. <laughs> like, we don't waste food here. We're in a war. <laughs> Did he dropped his his ration pack pizza? So funny. That's great. It was also the same guy who was taking a piss while the zero G hit. And then there was piss everywhere. I just, I thought of that off the cuff. I was like, wouldn't there be funny if there was like a piss thing? And I was like looking at you guys in real 20. I'm like, which of these guys would be least uncomfortable if I did a piss thing here? You picked me. I picked you. Cause like, 
we're co-hosts, so it's like we can riff on anything. So I was like, uh, Sam probably wouldn't mind. Steven, let's talk about Focus Fire. Yeah. So there's also another option that you have in lieu of Tactical Fire called Focus Fire. Does Lou know? I haven't told him yet. <laughs> <laughs> All capital ships, and I'm, I'm reading right out of Starships of the Galaxy again. All capital ships have the ability to focus their weapons on a large area of space, allowing the vessel to make a starship scale area attack. Essentially, focus fire creates dangerous terrain in space by filling large areas of the battlefield with a hail of weapons fire. Much like the tactical fire option, this allows game masters to use capital ships in a new way without making the ship a direct combatant. A colossal frigate-sized ship can attack a single square with focused fire, a colossal cruiser-sized ship can attack a 2x2 two two square area, and a colossal station ship can attack a 3x3 three three area. Backing away from the book for just a moment. There it is, Sam. That's what I was talking about. This is probably the easiest, most straightforward way to get an actual, honest-to-God, multiple squares area attack in space. Or in starship combat. It doesn't have to be in space. Those are, that's pretty rough. 3x3? 3x3? Three three, that's, three that's, three? that's pretty big. Big. That's... Gosh, nine squares. That could get a good chunk of your fighter group, you know? If you got a big enough ship on the battlefield and your party happens to make the mistake of clustering in a three by three area. Or even forming a fighter group. Or even forming a fighter group, like you said. Blast their asses. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Fucking blast their asses. They're in the same square anyway if they're in a fighter group. So even the smallest area of focus fire can deal some serious damage. This would target all of them individually. The little rules applying for who takes damage when in a fighter group wouldn't apply at all. The whole square yeah. is taking that damage. That's brutal. That can knock them out of the sky if you aren't careful, which is the best thing about it. You're a bit of a sadist, aren't you, Steven? Sadomasochist. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm a good encounter designer. I'm not yeah. a sadist. Come on, it's all mathematically balanced. Don't worry. Like when I hit you guys with a flat cannon on uh, on Ryloth. Don't worry. It was balanced. Top 0.1% damage roll on that one. Don't worry. Yeah. It was so bad we decided to withdraw you from left. the encounter. Game Masters, you ever have, have, have a party just get one attack on them in an encounter and be like, nope, sorry, and dip? <laughs> You're really downplaying it because it was rough. It was an insanely high damage roll. It was it close to 200. It took a majority of the group down to like a third on the on their health pool it, it for did. those ships. If, well, if you guys you guys remembered vehicular combat in a in a yeah, actually, it almost took out the two of the members of the fighter group. It almost took out the remaining party in the area. I mean, you guys were yeah, the transport was still up, but yeah, that's it. Almost took out two fighters in one one go. And it's not like we were down to like only 30% of enemies left. No, no, the encounter was going. In fact, there was way more enemies than when we started. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The enemies had just doubled and it was all balanced. And most of those enemies were placeholders for the hazard anyway, which I told you at the table. Anyway, just trying to make it feel epic. Let's continue from the, from Starship of the Galaxy. Yeah. 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 Here, here we are. This is still the same segment on focused fire. The capital ship selects a single laser cannon, turbo laser, or ion cannon system as its primary source of focus fire. You can use ion cannons here. Don't forget, that's two steps down on the CT there. The capital ship must forego all other attacks in the round it uses focused fire, making an attack roll against a reflex defense of 10 range penalties apply. So that means, of course, if the area you want to attack is 10 squares away, then apply the appropriate range penalties. If successful... That area is targeted by focused fire. 
If a starship ends its turn in an area targeted by focus fire, compare the result of the attack roll to the starship's reflex defense. If the attack roll is higher, the target takes normal damage from the chosen weapon system. If the target's reflex defense is higher, the target takes half damage. Oh, okay. So this isn't as crazy as I as I first thought. The party has to end their turn there, and they'll only take half damage on a miss. That's still nice. Yeah, real nice. I like it. Now, what if you, like, comboed this with a tractor beam from a second capital ship and then focused fire on a party member as Ooh, they were held in place? yeah. Brutal, but an option. But totally legal. And kind of like the shit the Empire does. I mean, that doesn't sound out of the question. No, no, absolutely not. If they can pull fuckers from hyperspace, then <laughs> absolutely. absolutely they're going to tractor beam you into focus fire. Like, <laughs> In fact, if the players did that, <laughs> they would be fucking excited for it. That would be the sort of thing that players would absolutely rub their hands together on, but then get pissed if you turn it on them. Yeah, that exactly. is a, com- totally one of those things. Okay, we've got one more thing in our on our plate here in our little dish. That was that was all starship related stuff. There's actually a pretty great equivalent to tactical fire and focus fire, sort of for non starship vehicles called battlefield effects. And this gem was brought to us by Galaxy at War. Who else? Battlefield effects are a loose equivalent to tactical fire, but only for non-starship vehicles. They make managing turns for several enemy vehicles a breeze and make them feel like more manageable terrain objects that augment an encounter instead of derailing it. Of course, everyone knows without proper firepower and cover, many vehicles can wipe your party immediately. Even an ATST can do a good number against a well-leveled party if they aren't properly equipped. From Galaxy at War, battlefield effects are special auras that can be applied to any non-starship vehicle that meets the prerequisites. A battlefield effect lasts until the end of the vehicle's next turn. A vehicle can only have one battlefield effect at a time, and the effect is determined prior to an encounter. Giving a battlefield effect to a vehicle requires no modifications to its weapons, armor, or other systems. To use a battlefield effect, the commander of the vehicle takes a standard action, and the vehicle can make no attacks until the start of the commander's next turn. This produces an area effect as described in each battlefield effect's description. Characters or vehicles must be completely within the area effect to be affected by the vehicle effect. Enough uh, effects for you there? That's Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Question. Yeah, what's up? Can players um, perform battlefield effects? You know, I was going to tackle that after we went over them some more, but it's a good question, so I'll answer it now. Players can probably use these. They are explicitly presented in the book as like an encounter design game master's tool. They are like a hundred percent for game masters. That's the impression I got. It doesn't say in the book whether yeah. or not players can't use them. Thank God, because that's that's the beauty of Swissy. I could see these as maybe homebrewed uh special orders or like rank table benefits or something like that. Absolutely. That would be fun to mix in. Pick one or pick two. For a vehicle that meets the prerequisites, if you meet a certain rank in an org, that's that's a great example. I was also thinking of them like on a per encounter basis. Oh, we, for sure. We yeah, recently yeah. had a great encounter where the party was uh, in a tank and around this tank. If I like pre-selected a few of those that I thought were a good fit for the encounter and gave them to you guys to perform, I think that would have been really fun and a good fit. I'm almost regretting not having done that. I forgot about these when I made that encounter. But yeah, so I think in a limited capacity, these could be really fun toys for players to do especially as you'll see here pretty soon sam a lot of these are ripping like scary 
All right. Let's get into it. There's one called Ground Churner, which I chose because of the name. The prerequisite is any tracked vehicle, and its area of effect is a radius of two squares. The tracks of this vehicle can rip up roads, bridges, and terrain, and its weapons are altered to shatter and churn up the ground. Terrain within the area of effect is difficult terrain for the purposes of movement. So there you go. Generate two square radius of difficult terrain around your tank. Why not? Is that only while this is active or is that permanent? Gosh, you know, it makes it kind of sound like it's permanent, right? And I can totally imagine a big old T4B heavy tank just tearing up the street as it as it goes down. That's cool as fuck. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just leaving a trail of of difficult terrain. I think, yes, it's not clear to me. I, I think it's meant to be as a standard action. As long as that standard action's active, it's still difficult terrain. That doesn't make a lot of sense, though. Yeah, for specifically what it describes. Yeah, for what it describes. I, so. I could see this as being permanent, and it's great for a dynamic encounter like it, that. It is. It is. Anything that can alter the battlefield, especially easily, makes your players feel cool, and also it's just cool. Tank killer. The prerequisite is the vehicle must have a weapon system that deals at least 6d10 damage. The area of effect is a 6 square radius. This vehicle specializes in eliminating other heavy vehicles. All allied characters and vehicles within the area of effect ignore the damage reduction of vehicles on a successful attack roll. Wow. Ignore the damage reduction. That's what it says. This would have been crazy against our T4B tank, Steven. Exactly. Exactly. If I wanted to limit your guys' tank fun, I would have brought in a tank killer. Shock and awe. The vehicle must have an auto-fire weapon system that deals at least 3d10 damage. The area of effect is a 6 square radius. This vehicle coordinates fire to lay down a blistering amount of damage. Any enemy in the area of effect automatically moves an additional minus 1 step down the condition track when targeted by a successful attack that deals damage equal to or exceeding the target's damage threshold. So, with shock and awe active, you move a motherfucker down the condition track no you didn't you moved him down two steps on the condition track <laughs> just because your vehicle is right here by you oh that pair with a ct killer yeah Rough. or even an ion weapon against oh, yeah. a, another vehicle or droid like crazy crazy stuff and there's a lot of these there's like 20 of these there's wow, ton, there's really? a ton yeah there's a bunch i only picked five four four, four. <laughs> then there's the troop carrier uh, battlefield. Yeah, not all these are offensive either. There's some really cool defensive and mobility-centered ones as well. Please, listener, take a look at these, because there, there, there's too many good ones to cover on the show. Troop Carrier. Uh, it must be a vehicle that can hold at least 10 passengers. The area of effect is two squares. This vehicle delivers troops safely into and out of battle and provides cover as they load up or deploy. Allied characters within the area of effect are treated as having cover from attackers outside the area of effect. That's cool. Nice little plus five reflex bubble. And, you know, it appears that could also help with stealth because we've talked about how stealth requires cover and stuff like that. It might just work here. This is great for anyone who really likes wargaming and wants yes. to bring more wargaming to their swissy table. And that's exactly what Galaxy of the War is good at. This whole segment of Galaxy of War is called the Battlefield Encounter Toolkit. And nice. it, it's, there's artillery, there's fortifications and crazy cool stuff like this. Super fun. But yeah, so take a look at those listeners uh, for your next uh, Galaxy at War style encounter. Anytime there's big scale involved, like we've seen in the Clone Wars or parts of the Galactic Civil War, even Knights of the Old Republic era, 
A uh, lot of lot of big open warfare going on there. Mix these in. They really, really help it feel like a big, fat, scary encounter. And they're fun. Well, that's super cool, Stephen. Thank you for bringing that to me. Oh, of course. I was happy to be reminded of it. Thank you, Lakopic. Thank you so much for listening to the Dark Times podcast. Isn't that right, Stephen? Yeah, that's what they're doing, right? They're listening. They're listening. We're thanking them. listening right now. And we're thanking them right yeah. now. Uh, seriously, though, the the podcast is a community podcast and we love being able to put this together for a place for people to come and share ideas, send stuff in. And, you know, 41 episodes now this is our 41st episode. I it's it's been amazing. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have I couldn't have said it better myself, Stephen. That's for sure. <laughs> Sorry, this I'm show, tired today. And this show wouldn't be possible without our patrons. No, it wouldn't. Uh, the patrons do an awful lot for the show. There's a lot of them now. There's like 14 or so. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys. Because we, uh, it's hard to run a podcast. A lot of effort and time goes into it. And it's about probably 10 man hours or so each that go into every episode for me and Sam. And when you guys show up for the Patreon, when you guys share the show with your friends or on Reddit or wherever... Um, it means everything. So thank you so very much to our patrons. You guys make this possible. And thank you so much to our many listeners out there. We really appreciate all the support and love you guys throw our way. And uh, other, aside from our undying thanks, the patrons also get a sticker for any $5 to your patrons and a sticker and a t-shirt for any $10 to your patrons. Damn right. It does take three months first for Patreon to process that stuff. Yes. But as soon as that's done, they'll be shipping it out to you. And we're still talking to them about getting stickers for the $10 tier. Yes, the don't worry, you won't see it yet, but the $10 tier does get a sticker. There is an internal error on Patreon's side that they cannot or have not fixed yet. We're still working on that. They yeah. are. We don't do anything for that. We can't. I can't do it. Yeah, we can't I'd love fix to, that. but yeah. I can't. Probably wouldn't take that long to fix it. I'm sure it's just some CSS bullshit or something. For sure. Uh, there's only a few days left to vote in our build showcase for the... Uh, Ace Pilot Bounty, that's what it was. Yes, yes. What did you, what did you almost say? I don't know. I, oh, just, okay. I just forgot because we went over it last week. It felt like so long ago. But yes, the poll uh, <laughs> is up on the Patreon. If you're a patron, you also get to vote in our in a Build Showcase poll. Make your voice be heard. Let everyone know what you thought the coolest build in the showcase was. That poll is open until the night of Sunday, September 25th. You have that long to vote. The poll closes just before midnight. And then uh, we'll read the results on the following app. Don't forget to review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your show. Tell a friend. We love it when you tell a friend. Oh, yeah. Let's get you guys back to the action. All right, Sam, what are we, what are we, what are we, what's going on over here? Steven, we're, on the other, we're after the break now. Steven, I've brought us a build. Oh. Been a while, I feel been a like. Sec. I been feel, a couple yeah. weeks. Because we've been doing, yeah. Other things. Other things. <laughs> <laughs> we get other great things and things sent in from listeners and stuff like that. It's so great. So I, you know, I don't mind uh, dusting off the old build tools and, and crafting a, a man out of clay for You're the pretty pod- damn good at it <laughs> for the listeners to enjoy. This is Albatro Relic, uh, a Kamasi Noble Seven Corporate Agent Three. For those unfamiliar, the Kamasi they're kind of like um owl. They look like they look like tall Furbies. <laughs> they kind of look they like kind of look. Yeah, that's I didn't really know about these guys <laughs> until today, and that's pretty on the nose. Yeah, they kind of look like tall Furbies. <laughs> <laughs> they also get a persuasion check reroll. They get to keep the better result, which is really nice because considering with Duros for the pilot reroll, they have to take a feat to keep the better result. Oh, and they just straight out get it. Oh, yeah, damn. They do. You're right. Wow. 
Also, Kamasi get an action called Passivism. As a standard action, they can make a persuasion check against the will defense of a single target within line of sight. If the check is successful, the target moves one step down along the condition track if it makes any attacks before the start of the Kamasi's next turn. And of course, this is only as long as they can hear and understand the Kamasi, and each target can only be affected once at any given time. Also, it's a mind-affecting effect for those who resist such effects. Nice. Yeah. Albatro has the misplaced loyalty talent, allowing a persuasion check to avoid being targeted by opponents as long as they have an ally within six squares. I see where this is going. Oh, yeah. You like, uh, you're a big fan of this talent, right? Steve? Yeah, misplaced loyalty is one of my favorites. So I, I've ran good. it more than once. It's super, super cool. It's great for any noble build or scoundrel build as well. Absolutely. Also from the Disgrace Talent Tree, Dirty Tactics allows allies to get plus four flanking bonus instead of plus two. This bonus lasts until line of sight is broken or if a Baltro... Al- <laughs> a Baltro. <laughs> a Baltro. Sounds like a fucking Disney dog. Or if Albatro falls unconscious or dies. Otherwise, the talent lasts until the end of the encounter. He also has the Castigate talent, allowing a persuasion check as a standard action to oppose a minus two penalty to target's defenses until the end of his next turn. In that same vein... The Silver Tongue feat allows Albatro to make a persuasion check to intimidate as a standard action instead of a full round action. Steven, do you know there's also a talent that does the same thing? The Presence talent from the Influence talent tree? Oh, shoot. That is exact that is same presence. thing. Oh, wow. Yeah, huh. but it's a feat instead. Huh. I guess it's if you need one more uh, than the other. That that rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> Considering talents are supposed to be more expensive, yeah, right? Yeah, much more kinda... expensive. Huh. Well... And I think presence is a prereq for something, too. It is. That I don't sucks. Know that, I know a, <laughs> is it worse than Gambler? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> That's gambler. the clickbait title of this episode. Oh, Finally, God. a talent worse than Gambler. We're doing like the, the YouTube face. <laughs> yeah. like, oh. Albatro also has imposed hesitation from the corporate power talent tree, which allows a standard action persuasion check in a six square cone. If the check exceeds any target's will defense in that cone, that target loses a swift action on its next turn and cannot take full round action. Whoa. I know, right? Corporate agent's kind of a, you know. I like corporate agent. a good pick. Yeah. I would like never play it or really ever use it. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really cool. it's cool. I built one once. You you were going to, you were going to do one shot that didn't go anywhere. And I built a, a (laughs) corporate agent for it. And it was really cool. It was a. I still want to run that sometimes. Yeah, it, it was a cool. It was a, you're playing a moon. I yeah, a moon. It was great. Mun? A mun? Maybe a mun. I might be a mun. Weird. They're weird. Uh, imposed hesitation paired with imposed confusion from the same tree that increases the area to 12 square cone. And then once per encounter, you can choose to have the affected targets lose a standard action instead of a swift action. Oh, you're just blasting dudes. Yeah, you're you're taking you are grabbing the action economy by its throat and choke slamming it into the wall. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> All without a weapon. Uh, Albatro also has the skill focus for persuasion and the exceptional skill talent for persuasion as well, which makes him a formidable negotiator with a grand total of plus 18 to persuasion, also making any roll of two to seven default to an eight. So he's basically rolling like at least 26, at least 26 and also gets a reroll. Keep better. So at least 26, pretty much most of the time (laughs) and a reroll. Keep better. And also the minimum rolls a 19. Oh, man. On a one. Oh, man. Additionally, Albatro has the experienced medic and surgical expertise talents. These allow him to perform surgery on multiple targets at once, taking only 10 minutes instead of an hour. The rapport feat allows Albatro to give an additional plus two and aiding another for a grand total of plus four. Now, Steven, this is a really cool noble build. Yes, it is. I, I, I just 
I think it's really great to have that sort of control over the opponent's action economy without taking any attacks. And then also has really good support options as well. My only reason why I would never play it, and it's an amazing build. The reason why it's not for me is I just love to be a guy that just with a weapon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, I just no, that's love fair. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But there are campaigns where this would be an incredibly good pick to play. Like, oh my God, this is, I'm salivating. One of the other prereqs, also, it's interesting. Some of the prestige classes have like one feat and then like one skill as a prereq. And then <laughs> they give you normal talents instead of like a special thing for the prestige class. Yeah, I don't yeah, know if yeah. you noticed that. I have. And the one of the other prereqs for corporate agent is they have to be a member of a corporation. Yeah, I love when prestige classes have like role play requirements that go along with them. It's so cool. So for Albatro, I've decided he's an agent of the Galacticon Insurance. Oh, <laughs> very nice. <laughs> like a corporation for an insurance company. And, and that's why th- that's how he threatens people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it. I get it. Oh, my God. That's so funny. I thought that was great. Uh, Galacticon Insurance is actually from uh, the original printings of the West End Games. No uh, way. RPG. It's so a WEG company. That's so cool. It's a cute little nod to, they, which for some reason they wrote out afterwards to make it more ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they retconned this yeah, insurance company? The, the insurance company does not appear in the later editions of the same printing. Huh. That's very surprising. That's our trivia for this one. Because <laughs> I didn't get one. Thank you so much for listening to the Dark Times podcast. The show's presented by me, Sam. Steven's my co-host. You can reach out to us on Twitter at DarkTimesSWSE or email us, DarkTimesSWSE at gmail.com. Don't forget, patrons, vote in the Ace Pilot Bounty. You know, use your it's your right as a patron to do so. Keep doing it. It's in your, it's in your patron bill of rights. It's in your patron bill of rights. It's part of the patron Jedi code. Like, come on, you can do it. Review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. Uh, Steven, do you have a quote for us this week? Sorry about the mess. Who's <laughs> <laughs> that? That's Han after he ices Greedo's shit. <laughs> after he plasters does that schemo across the fucking wall. Does he say that wall. to the bartender? Yeah, he flicks the bartender some creds and is like, sorry about the mess. <laughs> and then like the scene change is right there. It's, it's, it's so good. There's a Twitter account. I guess it's a shout out, I guess. There's a Twitter account that's that makes every single line of Star Wars into a meme in one way or another. Oh nice. And I can't wait till they reach Sorry About the Mess. <laughs> so good. Good night everybody. Good night. Wow. A little bit of, of boys to podcast madness. Boys or something. to podcast. Holy shit. Andor airs the same day this episode goes out, huh? Oh, sick. That's cool. I'm excited. They're dropping three episodes at once. They really, they That's really. That's a movie. Want, they really want those new. Uh, those new are 40 minutes apiece. I'm surprised why they would. Why would they do that? I don't know. Is something else coming out? That binge same culture? Week? I don't know. Like. They're like, oh, binge culture. But at the same time. You know what it is? Huh. They want that. But at the same time, they also want to outstretch the release date, yeah, the release order that out. so that people can have to stay subscribed for more than once. But then they forget that people are just like, I'm just going to wait till the show ends. Then I'm going to binge it all once and subscribe for one month. And that's well, a it. lot of people do. I just don't put on the, well, it doesn't really matter. I everything I can say. Yeah, I can say that. Right. That doesn't get anyone in trouble. Maybe, maybe let's hold on, yeah. hold off on that <laughs> in case any, you know, watch two years down the line, Kathleen Kennedy approaches us and she's like, you oh, know what? That's a good you, point. You boys you know, you boys really ride that podcast Bantha far and wide, and oh. I want you. <laughs>
I want you to do so under the Disney name. We could totally be those like StarWars.com schmucks that like just <laughs> do like the rebel recap and shit. I, we could totally do it. There's a- One of us, neither of us is a girl with blue hair though. So it's like, it's kind of tough. I'm sure we could find one. <laughs> like you're, you're a person of color and I'm white. So like that's. We're halfway there, baby. We're halfway there. Just one of us <laughs> needs colored hair and we're, we're set for starwars.com. Oh man. Uh, or I'm, just Buzzfeed. I'm Steven with starwars.com and we're going to light speed or something Exactly. Like that. I could do it. We're going to catch you up with zero distance. That's when they, worst timeline is we get a zero distance show, but it's done by the same team that did resistance. Oh, it totally would be too. It would, the, the art style and everything. Resistance. I was. I read up on Resistance because it's a big inspiration for the campaign, right? Yeah. They had such a gold mine, and they just squandered it. <laughs> such a good <laughs> fucking show.